The future is here. We conduct business with palm-sized computers we carry in our pockets, hold virtual meetings from locations around the globe, and have access to endless resources with a tap of a finger. So why are we still developing leaders like we did 50 years ago? Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because research has found that just 11% of executives believe their leadership programs are successful, and even less than that believe the training they invested in actually generates concrete results. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Lori Mazon, is a distinguished 25-year executive coach who has provided tens of thousands of coaching sessions to top leaders from Fortune 100 CEOs to venture-backed startup executives. She's the co-founder, president, and chief coaching officer of Sounding Board, Inc., working with companies like Chevron, Sprint, Citibank, and plenty more. These strategies are packed in her new book, Leadership Revolution, The Future of Developing Dynamic Leaders, published by Wiley, one of my favorite publishers. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here, Lori. Hi, Rob. Great to be here. Good. How'd I do on that name? Did I get that last name right? Yeah, very good. I'm on fire. All right. We <laughs> we can only keep moving forward. It really is. It's a pleasure to have you here. So I want to dive right in because as you say, we don't need prefab sets of antiquated and ineffective leadership rules. You think that leaders need to be more nimble and open to responding to environments, rules that are constantly changing. Okay. So let's grab a rule and, uh, you know, tell me something that's changed. I opened this up by saying, you know, we're, we're still looking at things we did 50 years ago and I've seen some of those walk me yeah. through a change or two that you see. Yeah. I mean, almost all of the ways organizations develop leaders were designed in the last century. It literally started with skill training which came out of OSHA and safety training way back in the 60s and 70s. And we still focus on foundational basic skill development. Now, not that that's not needed, it is needed in some ways, but as a leader in a current organization where you it's so unpredictable, you're facing things that you have never faced before, basic, OSHA style training is, isn't going to do the trick. Like having a skill is not enough to do with the current environment. So we just need to upgrade all of those approaches that organizations use that really were great in the last century, but don't work very well in our current environment. Okay. So let's take an example. And I actually used to do some management training I was trained by a, a outside company called Zenger Miller. Not so sure they're yeah. still around, but okay. So, you know, and maybe uh, is, is that what you're referring to as foundational skill training where yes, you want to delegate? I got four steps for that. You want to give recognition? Yeah. I got five for that. Is that yeah. what you're pulling away from? That is what I'm pulling away from. And interestingly, I used to train that as well. And, <laughs> and, and and you might remember those days when we had one, two, three, four day trainings on this stuff. Yeah. And at the end, people would be like, yeah, but how do I use this in my real job? 
And there's just the transfer of learning from a skill development setting to actually using it is minimal, under 10%. That's why, you know, the the industry is not very getting very much bang for its buck. So you need something more interactive, less formulaic, and we call that vertical development. It's really combining sets of skills and capabilities and even capacities that blend to help leaders respond to unpredictable, unknown, um, unanticipated events still in the best possible way that they can. Okay. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to play it back a little bit. So, um, because there's this, there's the, I think they called them key actions. There's the skill set, right? And yeah. then there's the implementation of the skill set. Uh, yeah. Could, can you live with a skill set that's more intelligently implemented? Or are we throwing out the skill set for something else? No, I think we're not throwing it out because I think the skill development is still important. By the way, so many companies doubling down on skill development in the face of technology advances, right? The whole, you know, current terms upskilling and reskilling. But again, those are functional skills. Those are, I need that to be able to operate in a world with AI or whatever it is. But we are talking leadership. Leadership doesn't operate in a formulaic manner. If there was really just one way to solve a situation, we would have told leaders that 40 years ago and they would all be being successful. But it's not like that. And, you know, I've coached a lot of leaders and organizations and each organization is different. Each leader is different. So no amount of formulaic one, two, three, four, five step skill training is going to prepare leaders for a current environment where you don't even know what's going to happen next. The economy, pandemic, you know, everything is looking brand new these days and it's not a replay of the past. So how do you train leaders to be successful in that environment? Yeah. You know, while you're talking, it's I'm smiling because I'm thinking, I, I, you know, I remember all those skill sets and they were like 25 of them or something. It was a lot of yeah. them. And yet, I think what you're describing, or at least I'm hearing, is um, almost teaching them to problem solve. You know, teach it's it's you know it's not necessarily the skill set. It's figuring out, learning how to maybe figure out what skills you do need, and and how to intelligently problem solve to arrive at that. Like close. Yeah, it's problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also this idea around capacity building, like. How do you not get thrown off uh, when things happen that you could never have uh, anticipated? How do you adapt to when things change dramatically, like from work in the office to work at home to hybrid working or some variation there? Like, how do you successfully adapt? How do you come back when things don't go the way you want and you need to completely readjust? Like those are leadership capacities that allow leaders to um, have a sustainable approach going forward, regardless of 
the external circumstances. I always talk about it kind of like the eye of the storm. Like as the leader, you're in the in the middle of a storm and it's swirling around you, but in there where you are, it's calm and it's quiet and you can look, look around and see that whole 360 degree view of what's happening and make your choices. So more like not only problem solving, but deliberate decision-making based on really seeing the full picture of things. Okay. And so I think you just answered my question. I just want to make sure I got it. So I like what you were saying, which is, you know, how do we not get thrown off? How do we adopt? Um, so is that how we not get thrown off? That's how we adopt basically. Uh, is that, is that what you're pushing forward in the, in the book? Yeah, uh, I am saying that we have to teach leaders how to do that internally themselves, that they cannot rely on a five-step method or this approach. Yeah, here's a skill set and you can use this approach. Well, I can use that in one of a hundred situations I'm facing today, right? right? So what about the other 99? Nobody's going to be able to tell you as a leader how to handle those other 99 as the leader, I have to develop the capacity to handle those myself. Yeah. And so our premise is you need help to do that. It's very difficult to do that alone. And that just skill training is not enough to do that. You need interactive help. You need coaching. You need mentoring. You need peer group support. You need group collaboration, team support to be able to really do that. Excellent. Uh, you know, I know this is a, a, a screwy a analogy, but but this is the Jala screwy mind. <laughs> it's not the name of the show, but it happens. Uh, you know, I, I was a basketball coach for many years, uh, just the kids and, you know, up until about 17, 18 year olds. But uh, it was sort of the difference between some teams that would, they would literally call out plays. So there was one systematic play. It was interesting, of course, within two minutes, you couldn't run the same play twice. We certainly know it was going. Right. And I pride myself in, and somebody helped me with this, but a running what was called a full motion offense. Basically it had a lot of different combinations. Uh, it, we were in a set motion, but all sorts of different things could come from that motion. And so it wasn't as predictable. And yet when we were, it took longer to learn, but then we had a, basically a process for, for doing what we were trying to do as opposed to a rule. And uh, yes. anyway, yes, that's a fantastic analogy because it's exactly like that. It's a longer learning process. Mm -hmm. It's a deeper learning process because in that case, individual players have to be thinking through things as you're going along, but it's also a responsive process. It's now instead of predictive responsive, you're responding to the current environment instead of uh, using a static play that like may or may not work. Like if you're responsive, you have multiple chances to win. If it either is a yes or no, it worked or didn't, you're out of luck really fast. Um, give me, give me, a, I'm gonna come from a different angle. Give me an old tactic that we're still using. Can you? This oh, uh, yeah, I mean, but that's effective. That's effective. Whoops. Not that not all tactic we're still using. So I saw, I saw your facial expressions, something that that's, that's older that we're still using that may still have some value. 
Well, I actually think coaching has been around for 20 years. It started in the early 90s. Um, the thing about coaching, it was reserved only for the highest level of leaders. So the C-suite folks, and, you know, of course, I made a good living on it because it paid a lot. Um, but every leader needs to have a coach, not just the people at the top of the house. And I think it's been difficult to figure out how to scale that more human to human approach to development because now you're talking about people and location and measurement and programmatic deployment and all of this stuff and it gets complicated so that's why software is needed to be able to really make this um, human interactive development available to all leaders it used to happen kind of behind closed doors it was like the little secret weapon of of seasoned coaches that they had a uh, seasoned leaders that they had a coach kind of behind them supporting them and now it's much more acceptable people think of coaching as um you know a very successful leader development strategy but it's still challenging to deploy yeah well we have come a long way if, if that's true and I believe it's to be true. I'm 31 years on my own now. So I, I'm not, I get in and out of corporations all the time, but I'm, I'm a guest. I'm a guest. I don't really see behind the closed doors. That's true. Yeah. It makes me happy uh, because, you know, the, one of the old models from 50 years ago was basically whatever task the company is up to, if it's building a widget, build it faster than anybody else and you become a leader. Um, yeah. you know, with no skill set, by the way, training, uh, yeah. you know, and, um, but you sure could build a widget fast, couldn't necessarily know how to run a meeting or know how to, uh, be compassionate to, a, to somebody who maybe doesn't process information the way you do, but right. boy, you're good at building that widget. And that I felt was just a, a pathetic kind of model. Very sad to me. At well, least. It, it, it was the industrial model. Mm -hmm. So at the time when you really could win by building a widget, you know, a better widget faster, that worked, but that no longer works. You can have the best widget in the world now. And if no one knows what it is, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. So now the goal is not fastest to market. It's actually sustainability over time. And you've noticed some very big organizations either dramatically changing directions or even going out of business as a result of that change from a past thinking to a current. And there's actually a story in Wall Street Journal today that said um, the brand leader uh, said that Volkswagen is no longer a viable brand. And it's like, wow, you know, it's been around for what, 60 years and they're having to rethink it and reinvent it to make it a viable brand. So what's kind of like a common sense or common understanding previously just doesn't work anymore. Is it, huh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to figure, you know, what exactly is causing that? Uh, is it is it a, sort of like where Radio Shack woke up one day and realized not only is radio kind of an antiquated word, but Shack's not helping you a whole lot either. So, uh, you know, they made a, a, a last ditch effort to change 
the name and modernize it, but maybe they were too late. Is that the they problem with Volkswagen? Late. That's exactly the case, right? You know, I, I forget the name of the larger brand that owns the Volkswagen group because they have the Audi and Porsche too. So obviously they're doing some good things, but that particular part of the business is needing reinvention. And it's the same concept around leadership. Like if you are still building your cars like you did in 1963, a wagon. you know, maybe it's considered a classic, but yeah. you're not selling a lot of them on the market today. Yeah. It's a really good point. I, you know, I, I have to tell you when I hear the word Volkswagen, um, bless their hearts. Good company. I own one once. It's not a bad car. Everybody's happy, nope. but I don't think of cutting edge technology. And nope. actually, if you look at the products they're building, there's some really good cutting edge technology, but the name is not given, doing them any favors. No, it really isn't. And look, there's a sort of a point of view of philosophy that matches with that name. As the person said, their brand, and it's not a very current brand. And I think that's really true with leadership as well. It's not very current. Almost all of the tools used were all created back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Like we still use this thing called the nine box talent review. It was created back in the 90s in a more, much more homogenous work environment. Uh, with many less generations in play. And yet and everyone knows it's biased, but large companies still use it. It's like, wait a minute, that's like, you know, the Volkswagen or the, you know, yeah. the Carmen Ghia <laughs> of yeah. the past, right? It yeah. was a pretty car, but it didn't last, you know? Yeah. yeah and and yeah, from the sales trainer on this end of the mic, you, you understand the reason why is fear of change. Uh, so many companies and individuals and probably people that you've coached will tell yeah. you that I'm aware that the problem exists, but I don't think it's quite as big a problem as you think it is. And we are programmed basically to wait till things become a big problem. Isn't that sad? That's why we have coaches. That's why we work with people to um, yeah. help us speed up a little bit, but that'd be my oh, guess. I think, is, yeah. I think there's more to it than that. I think that is one big piece of it okay. for sure. And in the, in the book that I have out, it really, I try to work you through how to let go of things you've done in the past that used to work that don't anymore. I think there's a couple other factors though, which is people don't know what else to do. And remember those old ways, they're easy. They're easy to accomplish. The new ways are harder. Yeah. So they may not know what to do and it's more difficult to make that happen. And a great example of this is performance evaluations. Like they started again way back in the 70s. In the 2000s, companies just realized this is not working. It's creating internal competition. It's not helping us find the best people to promote. It takes a ton of time. It wastes a ton of money. Um, there's just so many stats that show performance evaluation is not helpful. And so organization, large ones, GE, which was a key um, uh, champion of performance evaluations, all gave it up. 
And then there was nothing else to do. So then in around 2010, 2012, 2015, suddenly there is a resurgence of performance evaluations. And it's like, okay, we already knew that didn't work. And we already gave it up. And why are we picking it back up again? <laughs> um, so that just shows we really do need a revolution in how we develop leaders because even if we get people past the being stuck in how we always have done it up till now, there's not that much new approaches and ways for companies to develop leaders that have become popularized. Yeah. Leadership revolution, the future of developing dynamic leaders. I'm assuming we can find that on Amazon and all our online yeah. stores. Yeah. Well, it's getting to feel a lot like Christmas. We might a nice good stocking stuffer for you all out there. Uh, okay, let's get, let's keep going for a couple more minutes. The, uh, I saw something or heard a story today on, on CNN that uh, Sports Illustrated. I don't know if you heard this story, but Sports Illustrated was found to have had um, not only uh, AI articles being written, but uh, uh, fictitious writers with AI generated photos of these fictitious writers. So yeah. we, uh, we're in a wave of AI right now. Uh, yeah. Okay. And yet you're writing about talking about human development. Help us here. Tell us why that's so important. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm queuing you up right now. Yeah. So I'll take two parts of this. One is, you know, basic integrity. I saw that and I also saw now they removed those articles from Sports Illustrated. But, you know, one of those capacities that need to be built in, in leaders is this, this idea of integrity. So nothing wrong with using AI, but let's say what it is. Let's not try to pretend it's human when it's not. Right. Um, the part two is, you know, it's super useful. One of the things AI is really good at is identifying patterns. Uh, we actually use it in coaching because it, it might be able to see patterns that a human cannot see. An example of that was uh, just from a session recording, a coaching session recording. Um, the AI tools picked up that a leader had said the word ownership like 20 times in one session. So, hey, look, we saw a pattern, right? Something's going on about ownership. But what AI can't do, it can't find out what it is about ownership. What is the problem for the person? How did that get in there what's the uh, cause how are you how was the person thinking about ownership what did they need to shift to be more successful as a leader around that concept so ai can kind of name the patterns but you need the other human being to investigate the pattern to be able to identify what are the components that need to shift and change yeah. And so in terms of article writing, you know, you can scrub the web and you can write an article that's a summary of other people's ideas. Right. But in terms of new ideas and new thinking, that's probably going to come from human beings. Yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, truly. Thank goodness. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah. I also see some of the greatest leaders. Uh, they, 
I th- I think, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, uh, from managers I've had and the leaders I've worked with, there, there's two approaches. That 50-year-old approach was, you know, um, it's my way or the highway. This is the way I lead. And I'm hoping that 2023 and up is I'm going to read my team and and be and it's not my way or the highway. It's in a sense the team's way or the highway. Uh, if I've got a bunch of introverts, I'm going to dial it back a little bit. If I've got a couple of extroverts, I have to I have to figure out back to coaching for me. Uh, I like a good physical game of, of basketball, but I got a bunch of point guards on this team. That's okay. We'll just be a very fast team. We're gonna we're gonna change the way we play the game to suit the talent that we have. And I would think a great leader can do that. I'm not so sure about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, AI can't do that because again, just like a formulaic approach to training, it can't adapt to who's in front of you. So this is one of my favorite topics is how do you go from a good leader to an exceptional leader? And the exceptional leader is able to be responsive to the people who are in the room with them. They are adaptable. They're flexible. They can change their style. They can change their approach. They can build on the thinking of the people in the room. They can connect the dots for people. They can generate alignment among the people on the team. Those are all uh, sort of capabilities and capacities that are difficult to develop over time. And it really comes down to just the two things. This is like no news, but it's the same news, which is to be the most exceptional leader, you have to really know yourself deeply and you have to know the other folks and your context deeply as well and make those three things work together. You, the others, and the context you're operating in. Yeah. I happen to completely agree with you. I, I'll tell you, I, they don't do it anymore. But back in the day, Xerox would take uh, its top salespeople out of the field, make them trainers for two years, then send them out as managers. Now, they uh, last couple of years, we started having up on some management training and some leadership skills. But I'm going to tell you something. What they were getting, which was exceptional, was if you've ever been a corporate trainer, and we used to have six students to an instructor, two week long classes. You do that for two years, keep shuffling six bodies in the room every two weeks and trying to get those six people moving in the same direction and the faces names keep changing. Imagine where you'd be after two years in terms of being able to assess a, room, a small group of people and try and get them to, um, to, to figure out where our medium point is and work together. I thought it was extraordinary. Uh, we Again, we needed some techniques behind it, but we were taking care of, and it wasn't an accident, one of the toughest things, which is what you're speaking about, just trying to get people to assess and react and um, adjust the tactics they were using, not change, but adjust to fit that individual. Right, that's right. And look, add add the additional fact here that you had a curriculum you were trying to get them to adopt in this case. Right. Then the the level of um, capacity to do this when there isn't a right answer 
So yeah. you had a right answer you were delivering to them. Now you put those seven people in a room and there's no right answer. And how do you get to alignment then? Yeah. Good point. Good point. You're right. Uh, I, I did. Uh, although the, to, to me, always the, the body of our message is the easy part, getting people to want to hear it, getting people to react to it, implement it. That's, that can be the hard part, but I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just know that I learned so much about human behavior. Mm, I, I'll right. give you one. I'll give you a very obscure piece just real fast, but, uh, and I wrote about it somewhere, but uh, you know, sometimes you get individuals who are very quiet and, um, and maybe they're introverts or maybe they're just quieter. Uh, you know, the traditional approach to training would be to um, move our questions around. We actually had charts of how to randomly call on people. And within a couple of days, everyone was called on the same amount of times. And yet right. to be able to be uh, sensitive enough to know when to bring someone like that in, how to bring them in uh, and, mm -hmm. and realize they have tremendous information. Uh, yeah. But, but I can't treat them like an extrovert. I can't say, uh, you know, I, I can't shove them into a conversation or I'll lose them completely. Uh, That's just right. learning how to do that. One last thing and learning as a leader that I also can't completely ignore the person and take the easy way out and go, well, if they don't want to talk, they don't have to talk because sometimes they can ostracize themselves from the rest of the group by being, yes. by not being a part of the group. Uh, yeah. So silly as this sounds, because they were staying at the training center. I used to have these, if I knew I had that, I I would make up evening assignments, easy ones. Tomorrow we're going to do a review. Uh, how about you get together as a group and come up with six questions and always, the how about, can we just bring around? No, get together as a group, do it over dinner. It doesn't matter to me. With forcing them into a social situation because yeah. of what the group would do if I ignored it as a leader. Things like that, or how do you learn that? Um, without being exposed to many groups or a book like yours, somebody walking yeah. through and, and coaching, because that's not really an instinctive move. No, it really isn't. And, you know, why do you want to do that? Because you actually can't tell them how much learning this person is acquiring um, without any interaction. So finding ways to interact that are comfortable for that style that lets them work with the material, but also gives you some information about, you know, what they're absorbing or not super useful, right? When you think like from a leadership perspective, you hear a lot of information coming down from on high, but did people actually take that information in? Are they utilizing it? Are they operating in that uh, philosophy or that approach or in that direction, it's really hard to know if you are just talking the whole time. Yeah. Which again is the instinct for most of us, um, yeah. you know, asking questions and listening might be the oldest lesson in the book. I'm a guy who went 20 years carrying tape recorders with me. Now I use yeah. smartphones and go, Oh, well just sell something, but I don't, you know, tape it for me. And then we go back and count how many questions you asked if we can find exactly. one. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, instinct versus logic. All right, coming down the home stretch. You've been a, you've been a, 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 a I feel like you're coaching me right now, which is good. You've been a coach for over three, three decades, from what I'm, I'm reading about you. Yeah. Cherry pick. Dating, I cherry picked. Myself. What's that? I'm dating myself here. 
You started when you were nine. Uh, very smart kid you are. Um, okay. So um, I cherry picked for just a moment ago, a lesson that I learned was somewhat obscure, but really important. And I took that with me as a leader when I was no longer training people in a room. How about you cherry pick one or two that may not be uh, quite as obvious to us, but something that you could share with this audience? She's thinking. I think um, a key uh, way of operating as a leader is to really deeply listen. Um, I think many people skew, as you said, towards the tell side of the style spectrum. And the thing about that is if you are telling the whole time, you don't know where the other people are. So really being able to listen, not just to words, but also to their body language, their facial ex expression, their intent, like way beyond just the language to see, um, you know, what is settling in for another individual or not. So I think that deep listening skill is really critical. And they actually surveyed uh, CEOs, this was a couple of years ago now, and the number one skill for leaders was actually listening, which is kind of shocking, but they don't mean just like listening on the surface. We're talking really, truly listening. Um, and I think the other one, and a, a real favorite for me, is this idea of alignment. I have just seen a lack of alignment cause so many problems in organizations. And I'll tell you a story um, where I was at a very large Fortune 100 company, and on every floor at the elevator, they had in a frame the list of their like company values or company philosophy. And so each time I went in there, I asked whoever I was talking to, you know, hey, what are the top company values or philosophy? And not one person that I talked to knew what those were. Ooh. And I was like, you know, it's on the wall at the elevator when you're standing at the elevator and they would be like, oh, really? I don't, they, they would say things like, oh, I don't think we have that. Like, yes, you do. So this idea of alignment, it's not enough to say it. You have to have people in alignment and really living these ideas in the organization for, and like playing the a game, right? Playing basketball or everyone has to be moving in the same direction. If some people are going right and some are going left, you know, now you have a divergence of the energy and it's not getting you to the outcome that you want. Right. So this idea of alignment and everyone playing the same play, why do you have names for those plays? So everyone knows what you're doing and is doing it at the same time. Right. Um, it's, it's, you know, you would imagine as the organizations get larger, this is much more challenging and difficult to do. So I would say, alignment is really just a key secret to success right and and real fast that those um pieces that you were reading in the elevator or whatever that was up and framed uh how big was that how many bullets were on that thing i mean was, was oh, it that's 
Great question. I can see. Yeah. So in this organization, there was actually 16. Okay. Like, you know, nobody's going to remember 16 ideas. Right. Right. So really, you know, we know from telephone numbers, the max is seven. And really, you know, four to seven is the sweet spot. So for organizations, you really want to get it down to those top priorities and most important things that and and name those in a way that everyone can retain them. Right, right. I I, I sense that because of you know the the old rule and training emphasize everything, emphasize nothing. If you if you we all mean to, to do well. I have companies that want me to create job aids, but they'll take them. And when they edit them, they end up it, it, there's 19 things on this list. And I keep saying, it's not really a job aid. Job aid is something that somebody can just take a peek at and immediately catch that idea that they're looking for. Not tunnel. Uh, through. 100%. I'll tell you a story just from my own company sounding board. Um, a couple of two, two and a half years ago now, or two years ago, we created six strategic initiatives. And we started with like a four bet kind of thing to do this. And it had a paragraph um, to say what this strategic initiative is. And I was like, nope, no one's going to know that. I said, we need a catchy name for each one of these. And so we meet, we made six catchy names. And believe me, even my own executive team was like, this is a waste of time. Guess what? Three years later, every person in the company can name those six initiatives. Bingo. And we've been able to maintain that for the two, two and a half years as a result. And everything revolves around those initiatives. But it was that catchy little name at the top that was the descriptor. Um, and having a paragraph or, you know, 19 bullet points, no one's going to remember that. Right. And somebody's going to wander around and say you got lucky, but I'm telling you, that's not luck, the story you just told. That's no. actually fact. And it's a good way for us to bring this in conversation in for a landing because where we we started and we poked around and we're finishing is I am a big fan of implementation, big fan of implementation. I sense that you are too. Tell yeah. me in the book, okay, I'm going to read about a, a, a lot of pieces. Are there opportunities for me to uh, not only read it, but participate with it, uh, you know, implementation techniques that I can take with me. Yes, I am very practical. If you can't do something different as a result of reading that chapter, then to me, it was a waste of time. So at the end of each chapter is a, a section that lets you ask yourself the questions that you need to make a change. It's almost like um, having so coaching yourself with these questions. Um, and I've gotten some good feedback that people really like those questions that are at the end of the chapter. So if you read the chapter and then answer those questions for yourself, you are going to make a change and do something different. There you go. So you're talking the talk and walking the walk. Outstanding. <laughs> the book is called Leadership Revolution, The Future of developing dynamic leaders. You can get it anywhere and everywhere. Is there an audio book on this? There, not yet, but there's a, a Kindle work. book. Okay, all right. Working on the audio version. Good, and when it, and author to author, you do the audio version. 
You'll be fine. Oh, yes. Many people have told me my voice would be good for that. Yeah, you'll be fine. Plus, you've got you got passion for your own work. So yeah. uh, it tends to come up a notch or two when you do it. So make sure you do that. Okay. Thank you. Uh, how do people, uh, we know the book. Oh, and by the way, we don't just know the book. We know my audience knows when they buy a book, they read that book and they write a review on that book. So we, we, we let's not forget that. Oh. I'm reminding you, Pep Talk Nation. Excellent. Yeah, you can't do a nicer thing for an author or say thank you better for a great book than to take three sentences. And I'm not going to tell you how many stars, but it usually rhymes with hive and uh, and get that um, get that written uh, now. How do people get a hold of you? Oh, they can look me up on LinkedIn, Lori, L-O-R-I, Maison, M-A-Z-A-N. Uh, strangely, I am the only Lori Maison on the planet. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And you. if you want to go direct, you can always email me at Lori at soundingboardinc.com. Right. And you've or got a website of the website. same name. Yes. Foundingboarding.com. Yeah. Beautiful. Good. Okay. Well, congratulations. There's like seven Rob Jollises out there. I have no idea how that happened. Uh, but <laughs> so <laughs> I forgot to trademark that. Uh, in any case, listen, Lori, I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Did a great job. Really, uh, uh, you're, you're, a lot of the concepts you talk about, I'm always hoping people will talk about it more. I am I am an example of somebody, as I said, 31 years on my own, but it was not easy for me in corporate America. I learned how to fit in and I learned how to answer, but I was very frustrated by the leaders around me. Sometimes yeah. the frustration was due to issues I was having, but issues that could have been coached into me and taught to me uh, because we don't learn them in school. We got to learn them on the we got to either have to learn them face to face and we learn them through books like yours. So yes. um, uh, anyway, I'm grateful to have had you on the show and uh, thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everyone. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com.